You are never alone. But also, you are never alone. Hi, I'm Linda Ferguson of NLP Canada Training, here today to introduce you to the second day of our NLP certification, a day we call the social self. Human beings are social creatures. Neurosocial psychologists, which is a mouthful, are people who study the way our connections with other human beings show up in our brains. And they can help us understand that to be human is to be a creature who extends our sense of possibility and our sense of safety through our connections with other people. When people start becoming more intentional about how they're going to manage themselves and their relationships, one of their great hopes is that there will always be people who have their back, always be people who motivate them, inspire them, call out their potential, that they will never be alone. However, Not being alone has limitations. And when I say you're never going to get to be alone, I mean you're never going to be sure which of your thoughts are really your own. You're never going to quiet all those voices in your head that represent people you have been close to, people who have some way connected to something vital enough in your brain that you stored a memory, not just of what they said, but how they said it. You have voices in your head. Some of them are your parents, your friends. Some of them are people you have admired or paid attention to in the world. And all of them somehow are part of your thinking, part of who you are. And it can be really hard to trust yourself if yourself seems to be a sort of team of a bunch of different people who don't even agree with one another. How can we help in just one day of training? So if you haven't listened to the introduction to day one on state on mind-body thinking, please go back and listen because you will find that this course is built in layers. And if you miss the foundation, it's really hard to grasp all of the information and benefits in the rest of the course. The first day of the course was about state. That combination of what you feel and what you think and how you perceive that sets you up to find the information you need, to make the choices you need, to take the actions you need to take in order to be safe and to be satisfied. Once you understand how to kind of check in with what state you're in, how to make changes in that state if you're not sure it's the right one for the moment, then you have to ask, 
what's going to change my state? How, how does it keep changing? Why does it keep shifting? And how do I sort of surf with state instead of making just one choice? And a lot of the answer comes from this idea that there are a lot of other people in your life and in your head. And your connections with them continually change your state, making it either easier to stay in the state you want to be in, to do the things you want to do, to think the thoughts you want to think, or more difficult. So the first thing that we want to do is connect to what are the benefits of this peculiar arrangement, whereby human beings are alone, one mind in one body, and also collective, also connected. Lots of different interactions of different minds helping the one mind in the one body make choices, decide how to interpret the world, what to look for in the world. We start by noticing that you have experiences where other people actually observed you and had information about you that was outside your awareness. People who believed you had strengths that you didn't know you had. People who could tell you something about yourself and you would go, oh, oh, that is true. And you would feel like your sense of identity and self got bigger because of these connections with other people. Now, the next phase of that is understanding that all of those feelings and awareness and interpretations that other people have as they observe us get communicated to us and stored, and they become something we can lean into. So that if somebody else sees us as making a good choice, being a good person, doing the right thing, and a good thing, then it makes it easier for us to know that about ourselves. It was always in us. It was never really just the possession of those other people. But because we see it, we acknowledge it in ourselves. And so other people extend not just our capabilities in the world, but our capabilities in knowing what is possible for us, in knowing what is possible in us, in recognizing things that we don't experience very often, but that have made a vivid impact on us so that they are available when we consciously draw on them to manage our state, to manage our choices, to manage our behaviors. Now, sometimes we need to know exactly what somebody else is thinking or perceiving and not just what we kind of think they might be thinking or perceiving. This is the foundation, not just for how we communicate and influence, which we'll cover later in the course, but for how we get a kind of stable foundation or more stable foundation 
for knowing ourselves, for knowing the world, so that we can make decisions about what is possible and desirable, and then we can take the action we need to take to make those things real. If two people look at the same picture, they see different pictures. There's lots of overlap, but there is difference. When two people have a conversation, there's sort of three conversations happening simultaneously. One is the conversation one speaker thinks they're having. The other is the conversation as the other person describes it. And the third is that conversation that a recording might pick up. Somebody who doesn't have skin in the game might pick up, which is likely to also be different. Now that's a lot to keep track of consciously. And practice helps a lot. Because in an average conversation, somebody says something and we need to respond to it. We need to respond to it fairly quickly because that's how conversation works. They pause, it's our turn to say something. And our ability to connect, collaborate, influence, or learn really depends on us understanding roughly the same thing that the other person meant. And that means understanding first the state they were in that caused them to say what they said, when they said it, the way they said it. Then to track the perspective they were taking. What were they paying attention to? What was in their awareness that supported that state so that they would make the choices they were making with their words, with their actions. It's complicated and we practice by noticing what we notice in somebody else and then asking them what they noticed and comparing the two. And you need a training situation to do this well because you need, first of all, different people to connect with. People whose thoughts and patterns don't already have overlapping patterns stored in your neurology, which means people you know really well are harder to observe because you're always skipping steps. That's the way your brain works. It recognizes a pattern and it moves you really, really quickly into a conclusion. So we have fewer patterns with strangers. And so when we have strangers and particularly people from different fields, different backgrounds, maybe different places and cultures who we're working with, that difference helps us actually get a little bit of conscious edge in paying attention because it slows down our awareness a little bit. Now, you could try this with people out in public at coffee shops or public transit. They wouldn't all be really into having a conversation about their feelings with somebody they don't know. But in a training situation, we can set it up so you can hold a state and somebody else can practice letting themselves connect to all the nonverbals in you, all the observable tiny changes that you make as you think something different. 
and then they can guess. This is what I think you were thinking of based on these choices that we started with. And when you guess, you get new information because either you guessed right or you guessed wrong. And both those pieces of information are enormously helpful because a lot of the misunderstanding, a lot of the conflict in our lives comes either from thinking we understand and interpret correctly when we don't, or from thinking there's no way we can understand when maybe we can. You might have heard the saying sometimes attributed to Socrates, that nothing human is foreign to me. Really, the way you hear it most often is anything you can do, I can do. And that's the perspective of little children. They know that other people are an extension of their sense of what is possible for themselves, for their choices, for their learning, for their action, for their results. In order to not just observe that's what just changed, but to know why change is happening, how decisions are being made, you have to be really attentive to when you are picking up information from another person and when you are imposing information that comes from your own history, expectations, and values. All of those complicated patterns stored in your brain that are instantaneously applied in any situation. And so having an opportunity to have conversations you say, this is what I observed in you. Is that what you were aware of? Now, sometimes people won't be aware of what you observed and you'll be right and they'll be wrong. There's just no way of knowing because we don't all know ourselves as well as we think we do. That's one of the reasons we're interacting. But when somebody says, you're right, We were on the same wavelength then. That's what it's like for you to be accurately observing another's experience rather than just having your own experience and imposing it on your interpretation of the conversation. That's really helpful. So we practice. This is what I think you were saying. And then the really advanced exercise that we have to do every day in real life. This is what I said, and this is what I think you responded to in what I said. And just having an opportunity to systematically work through the question of what is me, what is me putting background values, experiences into an interaction, and what is genuinely the other person? How do I sort that out? Triggers so much change for people because it makes them question their own assumptions when it is useful to question their own assumptions, when the states they are moving in and out of don't feel useful to them 
and they're not sure when they're coming from. When a voice in their head is telling them to do something and they have to figure out, is that voice really me? Or is that the voice of people who I care about who might have a different interpretation? And before I decide which one to listen to, I just want to know, where's it coming from? And the last thing that we look at in this one day, because this is a lot, isn't it? We do immensely effective, accelerated work. Because we are working on things that you already do every day in your real life and just causing you to pay attention to them differently and to get different information about them instead of starting something completely new. One of the things that regularly happens is that other people change our state. When they cheer us up or motivate us, we don't really complain about it. But when they annoy us, irritate us, we say things like, you make me angry, you make me confused, you make me. And the third thing that we do that helps people sort out whether it's a good thing that they are never alone or something that they need to work with and refine so that they know what is theirs alone as we take our new skills of observation and put them to work on an interaction we've had many times in the past that has shaken our state, and we practice making changes in perception and communication and behavior so that we see other people don't really get to control our states, that we have choices, and that the trick is to have the practice of noticing I'm in a state that doesn't feel entirely useful, assigning identity to it. Is this really my state or is it just something I'm picking up through my observation and my interaction with somebody else? And then deciding, okay, what change can I make to make this better? And having that repertoire allows you to control for situations when you don't get to manage your own state because you're interacting with other people. Now you can go, oh no, in interaction, even when I don't have time to step away and create something, I can modify, I can make changes that change the nature of this interaction, the nature of the way this person gets into my head into my body and behavior. But of course, that's a learning skill too. Because the same skill set that allows you to isolate and identify transference of states in a conversation where you don't particularly like the result, you can apply that now to observing people who are able to do things that you really want to be able to do and to add layers to your observation that you might have missed consciously in the past, to notice interactions, to notice states, to notice how one person influences another, and to blur the lines between your own thinking and somebody else's thinking for the purposes of 
internalizing those patterns of perception and interpretation so that you can start having access to a skill set that they have and you want to have. In NLP, this is called modeling. And the most important layer of modeling, at least as far as I see it, is that normally we try and model using only our minds, only our rational, conscious minds and observations. And people give us instructions that are designed just for that particular part of the self. But no one's behavior is driven that way. Behaviors and choices and perceptions are driven first by our state and then by our conscious choices. And so if we leave out how to manage state and how to manage state during interactions with other people and other ideas, we never understand how leaders lead. We never understand how coaches get the best out of people. And we don't understand how to manage ourselves so that no matter what happens, we can keep getting back into the states we want to experience that will lead us through circumstances to create the change we want to see. But for that, you're going to need a few more steps. I'll be back soon with episode three in this series of NLP core skills from our NLP practitioner certification. I'm Linda Ferguson. You can learn more at nlpcanada.com.